Since leaving Colombia, I've been craving arepas and cheese. If someone knows of a good place, you can email me, please. You can email me, too. You don't just don't just email Hannah. Um, thank you for tuning in to Hannah and Eric Go Birding, a podcast by birders for birders. I'm Hannah, and he's Eric. And we created this podcast to share adventures and misadventures and opinions that we have on different birding topics. We're definitely not experts, and anything that we discuss that might be controversial, I want you to remember, they're our own opinions, and they might be different from yours. Very good. So, yeah. uh, you might notice that we sound a little goofy. Yeah. Coming down from uh, the Promo and into a plane and back to Oregon <laughs> caused us both to get sinus infections. Yes. So, so we apologize that we might uh, sound a little stuffed up compared to our normal cheery selves. I mean, we're still cheery. <laughs> still, still exciting and cheery and That's happy. true. That's true. It's just a uh, head congestion. Yeah. That's what happens. Um, Whatever. <laughs> consequences of traveling at times. Well, uh, so any other news that you can think of? No, so I, I kind of wanted to kind of rush rush through everything because we have a ton of the second half of Columbia to get through. Okay. Because there is so much stuff that we did. Or, and I, I don't want to short us on that. Well, fortunately, we're Pacific Northwesterners and we can talk fast. Yes. So uh, I'll just mention my episode really quick. I did have an episode of Women Birders Happy Hour come out recently. Um, I interviewed Heidi from Tasmania, who and her drink was a short-tailed cheerwater. Mm. So listen in because she had some really cool stuff about... Um, Taking care of a lighthouse for a while. Uh, cool. Next up, yeah. We're so going up, upcoming travel. travel, we're going to be traveling soon to the North Shore Birding Festival in a couple weeks. Um, what is it? It's the first week in December is yep. uh, the festival, uh, Lake Apopka, um, San Diego Bird Festival in mid February, end of February, um, Galveston Feather Fest, and the birdiest festival in America down in Corpus Christi, which we just confirmed with them. With that, I don't know if we've confirmed with our bosses yet. Um, but, uh, we have confirmed with the festival that, uh, we'll be there. Well, so, if we're, we'll... if we're playing that game, then I'm just going to say, <laughs> say we're going to Global Bird Fair too, you know, just tack that one in there. And now my mom can't say no because oh, I announced it on yeah, the podcast. Yeah, there we go. Our, our supervisors have been, have been notified now. That's, <laughs> that's how they get notified <laughs> yep. through our podcast. Um, uh, so we do have a November Bird Nerd giveaway to give away. Uh, <laughs> I was waiting for it. Yeah, it was... It was a little bit slower, Horn. So you might remember from our last episode, we had a buff uh, that was created by one of the local photographers that we met down in Columbia, mm -hmm. and a laminated bird ID card. And what we asked you to do was to send us your favorite bird description color. For example, I, I really like okra. Yeah. I, I can't remember what I used, but vermilion's one that I really like. Yeah. I was... That might have been the one I used, but I, I like I like vermilion. Oh, Fulvis is the one I used. Yeah, that's, that's what it was. Uh, a lot of you know com different reds in there in the yeah, lots colors. of different reds. It's there, there's that chart of colors that I, I always think about that about how sometimes people put artist in there, sometimes people put birder in there, but it's the way a person sees color, and then it just has like a regular red, person, <laughs> yellow, green, blue, and then for artist or birder or something, it has like. 60 it's all split up and all, all the different uh all the different reds and yellows and greens and blues that you can have so we should find that and reshare that because that would have would go really well with what we did here it, it, it would yeah um so anyways our randomly selected winner and there were a lot of fun entries i did yeah. uh, cinnamon teal was one that i didn't think about because you know teal of course is a color but it's also a duck um, but the the word teal, I don't think, is describing the color of the bird in no. any way. It just happens to be a homonym or whatever. That it's that's the same. It's the same word. That's or not a homonym. It's the same word, but it means something different. 
I can't remember. I don't think that's a homonym, but um, a cinnamon for the color, and then teal, uh, potentially a color too. So two. I, I thought that was. I thought that was clever. I, I that think was a good one. I think you gave him two entries because I because did. Of the clever. <laughs> yes. And even two, even with two entries, there was enough entries that uh, that didn't uh, stack it in his favor too much. <laughs> well, anyways, um, so our randomly selected winner was Sean, who said, "What about plumbius, meaning the color of lead?" Like a plumbius water red start, um, which looks really cool. And I know Sean wants to see one, and then I Googled it, and I want to see one too, because they are a really interesting looking bird. Uh, but yes, plumbius meaning lead. Very plumbius. good. Yeah, that's why lead is PB on the periodic table of elements. Ah. Or plumbius. This is an educational podcast as yeah, well. Sure, whatever. <laughs> um, so congratulations, Sean, and thank you all for submitting your entries into the Bird Nerd giveaway. And in December, we'll have another one. Yeah. All right, so now we're to the main story. We are going to talk about the remaining part of our trip in Colombia. So we had a total of eight days in Colombia. Um, I think we've talked about three or, three or so days already in the last episode. Um, but we did a bunch of traveling. Um, Columbia is huge. It's bigger than Texas. Yeah. We just wanted to do a quick recap yes. on that. It's a huge country, bigger than Texas, which is just one state. Yes. <laughs> uh, there's 32 departments in Columbia, um, which are departments. Essentially states. Yeah, exactly. On eBird, it has 1,911 species that have been recorded, um, in Columbia and, there's 79 endemic species, um, which is just really cool. There's that many. And we ended up seeing 14 of those endemic species on our trip there. Yeah. So um, just to talk about how big Columbia is um, and reiteration of that, we only visited two departments or three departments technically um, and very limited habitat. We essentially only went to um, like cloud forest and Paramo. Mm-hmm. And it was just like the high cloud forest. We, I think we had like half a day in dry forest, but we, we barely birded there. So for the most part, it was cloud forest and paramo. Lots of other habitat types for us to still go back and explore. Um, lots of other regions of Columbia to go back and explore. Seriously. But, uh, all right. So, where are we? <laughs> so I, I, think, I think we can pick up uh, day four, uh, where we head to Rio Blanco. Where we find our heroes at Rio Blanco. <laughs> so um, this is a really interesting, uh, really interesting place. This basically the next like day four, five, and six were basically completely focused on ant pittas. Yeah. Like, what are we going to do to find specific ant pittas? Like, and how- I'm so dumb because you know we went to Ecuador and we saw a couple. We saw like one ant pitta, I think, and then they were we like, saw two. Did we? Yeah. And then they were like, oh, there's another ant pitta that you can see here, and we ended up dipping on that one. I did not realize the diversity of ant pittas. You yeah. know, I thought there was, I don't know, I would have guessed, if somebody asked me how many ant pittas, I think I would have guessed like 15. Like, mm-hmm. no, there are many, many ant pittas. There's, there's, there's like, I, I probably should have looked at some before starting, but I think there's like 20 in Colombia by itself. Yeah. And then there's other ant pittas that are in the rest, that are in other places. So. Yeah. It's just, it really shocks me when they would be like, oh, you can see this other ant pitta, and it's like. Another ant pitta? Well, and so they all, all ant pittas basically look, have the same-ish body shape. I'm looking at Ebert right now. Look at this. Oh my gosh. I scrolled like four times and I'm still getting different ant pittas. Yeah. That's a lot of ant pittas. So they all generally have the same body shape. They're kind of like a ball with sticks sticking out of the bottom of them. I mean, they're kind of like a smaller robin. Kind of, but they're like rounder. Yeah, Like a smaller, rounder robin. But then the coloration variation and the sounds that they make 
are super varied, and then their behavior is super varied. So you have, I mean, we can get into this in, in a little bit more, but we, like we, um, the the first ant pitta that we were looking for, I mean, the the first ant pitta that we were finding was the or we were targeting for the day was the bicolored ant pitta, and it was it kind of, it kind of acted the way the two acted in Ecuador that we saw, where it's just it just comes out for literally one second. And then it's gone. It, yeah. it gets its warm and it's gone mm-hmm. for the rest of the day. And then we go up the hill a little bit to go um, find the chestnut crowned ant pitta. And they're calling and calling and calling and singing and just from the trees. And they're like, they know we're coming. And so they're like, and they come at, to the end of the no, trail. No, no, oh. no, don't give it away. Anyway, okay, so. Okay. Anyways. So anyways. But, but they, act, they act differently. Yeah, it's, of it's, course. It's, it's just fascinating that it's like, I, I, I thought of just like, oh, well, it's going to be like the same thing, like woodpeckers. Every single time it's the same sort of behavior, but then these guys, ant pittas, even though they're all the same generally, yeah, just so they're not. They're so different. Uh, yeah, so anyways, this site that we were at, Rio Blanco, um, has, was, you know, it's it's an ant pitta site. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there's three different ant pittas that we ended up um, going to see that day, but yeah, they're just, they're really funny birds. So, we got to Rio Blanco, it's this beautiful lodge that's like, I don't know, Almost all the way up to the top of the mountain. It's like behind a reservoir, like a um, a, rete- a water retention area with a dam. And uh, we, we we talked to another guy at the Rio Grande Festival, and he was like, oh yeah, I go up there all the time. But he's never stayed in the lodge. But he, every, every time he goes to Columbia, that's where he goes up there to go get the ant pittas. So yeah. it's like, it's, he, he knows of it, and he, he's been going there since the old part of the lodge. Is there those yellow buildings? Yeah. That were on the right? They Apparently the buildings that we went to were brand new. Like oh, okay. that, that, that whole section of the lodge is like all brand new. Well, it's beautiful. Oh, yeah. And, um, yeah, really nice, uh, lodge. They had breakfast waiting for us, um, and coffee. Well, they didn't have coffee. They didn't have coffee. They had hot chocolate. Yes. Right? Hot chocolate. Because yeah. hot chocolate's what you have in the morning. Um, so we watched the hummingbirds for a little bit. There was, you know, some feeders off to the side that had just a lot of really cool things like the sickle, sickle winged guans, um, there was also some uh, tapaculo that was calling in the mm-hmm. background. Yeah. Uh, tree runners, for, you know, lots of different things were were flying around. Wrens, and of course the uh, ubiquitous great thrushes yeah. were there Everywhere. as well, um, and some tanagers too. So just a fantastic place to sit and enjoy. I mean. If we had stayed there, it would have been very cool to watch the sunrise and have all these birds just come out of the forest oh, yeah. into it. Um, but anyways, we had our breakfast and enjoyed the feeders a little bit more. Breakfast, of course, was uh, traditional like eggs, um, pan, arepas, you know, cheese, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we ate breakfast and then we went off towards the first ant pit. Well, so before before we go off to the first ant pit, I neglected to mention anything about food during the last episode. And I love food. I love I love to eat. And the thing that I ate, like, like sure, it was the same exact thing almost every single day. <laughs> but, but different restaurants. But it was a different restaurants, and it was a different lodges we eat at and stuff. But I, and it was, it was by choice. It wasn't because that was the only thing on the menu, or that was the only thing that they were offering. It was like that is really good. I'm going to keep getting that. Yeah. It's the um the national dish of Colombia, the um bandeja paisa, and it is is platter. That is just so much food. It is, and it's so good. So, it's kind of, it's really basic foods too. It's not like, I, I, the sausages are a little bit complicated-ish, I guess. There's a chorizo, there's a blood sausage, 
There's some beef, some uh, chicharrones, um, chicharrones, rice, beans, plantains. Um, there was an arepa, a fried egg, and then to make the whole thing healthy, as, as everyone was telling me this, it's, it's to make it healthy. They put an avocado on the side. <laughs> so you've got an avocado on the side, um, and that's what makes the whole dish healthy. Sure. But it's like, it is... It's a whole enti- plate of brown and then one green. One green right there, yeah. and that's... And the, the plantains are yellow. That's, that's kind of a little I'm just bit, teasing. They're yellow-brown, I guess. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so it's, it's, that's what makes it healthy is that avocado. But I, I ate that at almost every single day. Yeah. And I loved it. And I, I could continue eating it. The blood, the blood sausage is a little bit iffy for me. It's, the, the, the texture is just not, not great. It just, you weren't raised on it. I wasn't raised on it, so that's, that's, not, that's not up my alley. It was good. I'll still eat it. But sure. I, I, I could go for that. For lunch today, maybe. See that, like, uh, beef or pork or whatever that was, like, powderized? Oh, that was that was uh, hamburger, yeah. Was it? Yeah. It was just, it was so fine. Oh, I mean, I know. it looked like they had dried it and then, like, shredded it or something. Yeah, I don't know how they got the hamburger that powdery, powdery. It's impressive. Fine, yeah. yeah. But it was, it was good, though. It was almost like a garnish. Yeah. So, anyways, that's that's a sidebar of, of the whole thing because I didn't talk about food at all the, during the last episode. You all know that we like to talk about food in addition to this because, you know, travel, and I'm going to say it, I know I've said this before, travel is more than just about the birds. It's more than it's just about the place we stay. You know, it's it's all the stuff put together. Try, so. Trying to put the whole experience together. Yeah, so that's why we Hopefully. mention food and bathrooms and all that stuff. Uh, so anyways, back to the first Aunt Pitta. Yes, the first Aunt Pitta for the day. Diego was like, okay, so we gotta go check the first Aunt Pitta, the bicolored Aunt Pitta. And he put us in, in place. It was like right next to the lodge. Um, there was like kind of a little, uh, display area for it. I just think it's funny that they give him like a stage. Yeah. And, um, and then like I was trying to get a video on my, my spotting scope, but I had the, the Koa 99 with us, which is a big spotting scope yeah that can see very far away and they can see very small things very far away and really well this, this was a medium-sized thing very close <laughs> yeah you kept, you kept backing up like further and further and you're like i think i'm in focus but then you were like standing like i was like, 30 feet back from us i know and it's like and then like the other photographers were like no come closer and you're like no i'm good i'll, I'll keep backing up actually <laughs> Like you walked down the trail and you were like down the trail around the corner and you're like shooting back at the at the little stage. So in that situation, I had the wrong tool for the job. The wrong tool for the job. Oh well, you don't always have the right tool. Yeah, but you, you make do with what you got. Exactly. And if I didn't get a video, I didn't get a video. Yeah, but you but you got a video, didn't you? None of that one. Oh, I, th- I thought you had like a little like in and out. Oh, I might have had that. Yeah, you yeah. had you had like an in and out, and it was like really quick. But it, but that's all it that was. Doesn't count. Like so. Anyways, we get. We get ourselves in position. Hannah's staged uh, thirty feet away, seventy feet away from us, <laughs> yeah. um, down the hill, around the corner, up and over the mountain. I actually had mirrors, you know, yeah. helping <laughs> me find the bird. So this isn't anything bad about the ninety nine. It's just this, no. it's, this is not its designed purpose. Yeah, this, it's, is, this is not what it's made to do. It's not made to film, and you're not made to scope medium ish birds at. 10 feet. No, and it, I... You're, you're, you're supposed to scope things that are, like, a good distance away. And I knew that. I just... I was trying to do what I you're, had. You're, put, you're trying to push the limits of the I equipment. Was. and yeah. And it, it, you ended up successfully pushing it. It wasn't... It wasn't to, to the detriment. You still saw the bird. Oh, yeah. No. I'm fine with it. Um, anyways, so, yeah, that ant pitta was in and out. 
And that was about it. Literally fast. Bicolored Ampeta. So the bird was just in and out, and it was a blur. It was a flash. It was a flash. But it was a, it was a beautiful flash. So this bicolored sure. Ampeta, it's like this chestnut color across its back. And then the front, when you first look at it, it's like, oh, it's kind of like a white color. Yeah. But then you like look at it more, it's like, no, it's like a blue tinge. <laughs> like, it's got this really interesting like tinge to that to that front. So it's not like... No, just like a standard white and brown ant pitta. It's yeah. it's got a little bit of an interesting coloration to it. Nice. But we saw it for like half a second. Yeah. So then we headed up the hill, uh, hiking up the hill uh, to go to the next ant pitta, mm-hmm. and birding along the road. You know, um, some hemispheruses. <laughs> it was funny because um, <laughs> super super ciliated, super ciliated hemispingus. I'm not gonna say that. But anyways, I had mentioned. On the way up, that or we were looking at a book or something, and I saw that name, and I was like, "That's a ridiculous name." <laughs> and then, like a few minutes later, there it was. It was right there in the tree. I love it when that happens. Uh, so, it was really funny. Getting... Lace and albatross. That's a really weird name. Let me. Do... <laughs> yeah, right. We'll see if it works. <laughs> yeah, one will just fly right by the window. Uh, so, anyways, uh, we get up to the next ampeta spot, and it is already looking down the trail for us. It. It came to the, so the, at this, at the next little feeding station, you have to like walk down like a 20 foot long trail to get back to the stage for the ant pit. Oh, and there are seats set up for it. Yeah. And the ant pit, like, apparently we must have been running late because it came out to give us an earful about how its breakfast was late because it, it came running down the trail towards us and then it sang its song and then turned around and ran back down the trail. I love that bird. And so then our guide, the not it wasn't our, uh, it was our site guide. I can't Carlos. Remember, Carlos. Who did the picture for the buff. Yeah, so he uh, he was like, oh, we must be late. And so then we, we, we go down there and he just yells out the bird's name once and the bird just runs out and jumps up on the stage and he's like, I've been called. <laughs> I've been summoned. It was very cute. Um, yeah. And he was, like Hannah said, he was a ham. He was totally a ham. We spent maybe like 15 minutes watching it go through this network of undergrowth and then coming out for a mealworm and then going back. And that one was named Poncho. And it was a chestnut crowned ant pitta. But that was just such a cool experience to watch this bird. I mean, it acted like a dog, like, but it came out and yelled at us, it's breakfast is late. And then back and forth and back and forth in undergrowth. It was very cool. Got some great videos of that one um, because it was out in such a showstopper. And and because of the way that area was situated, you were able to get up above it and behind, far enough behind everyone that you were able to film it. I I got a bunch of recordings. I think I'm going to use these recordings for the intro and outro of Aunt Pitta's. Like, various ant pittas for intro and outro. Yeah. Um, so, anyways, that was a really good one. And then, you know, continued heading up the hill and just so much good stuff along the way. I yeah. mean, there were crimson-mantled woodpeckers. There was, you know, just a variety of different tree runners, like flammulated and pearled uh, fruit eaters. I mean, I... <laughs> So the list for the morning was uh, 56 species. Yeah. So we had 56 species in a, cu- in a handful of hours from walking basically just up the hill. It's like maybe half a mile. Maybe. Something like that. So it's not, not super far up the hill and tons and tons of birds. And so we, we get up to a point where it's kind of like the top. We take a left to go kind of down um, this kind of like really high-sided trail. Yeah. Um, and... Tons of activity right off the bat. So we went down the trail a little while, uh, maybe a quarter of a mile or so. Mm-hmm. And yeah, just a lot of uh, small 
foraging groups of tanagers and warblers moving yeah. through. Um, of course, we got a Blackburnian because of we had a Blackburnian every like every day. day. And then we got towards the end of when the activity was slowing down and went back the other, you know, back towards the beginning. And uh, two birds flew through our our path that he was really, that our guide, uh, Diego, was really excited about. And it ended up being plush caps, which mm. is just a really fascinating looking tanager. It's like this kind of dark maroon color on its breast. Um, its back is more of a slaty gray color. And then it has this yellow... Uh, forehead. It's, it's like just a vibrant yellow forehead. It's just a really striking bird, but you know, if you look at its bill, it's a really got a really interesting bill too. It's really blunted um, versus like you know more of a typical tanager that's a little you know like pointier. Yeah, it's like tanagers have like kind of a multi-use bill that's kind of like fruit and insects and it just kind of do things mm-hmm. with it. It's a good multi-tool, and the plush cap is kind of like a stumpy. It's like looks like. It's not as bulky as a seed-eating bill, but yeah. it's like, it looks kind of the same, smaller shape, but a, a seed-eating bill almost. It's kind of kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, so then we got back to, yeah. you know, the top of the road, went up the other side where the other group had gone mm-hmm. that was hanging out at the lodge, too. And we kept hearing these golden-plumed parakeets in the distance yeah. off to the side, but it was so foggy, we couldn't see down into the valley to see... Um, to see them. And so we just, every time the flock would move past kind of where we were at, we would go like stand we, at we the can, edge looking for them. We, we can hear them and they're like 30, 40 feet away, but no, we can't see them because it's too foggy. Like this, <laughs> this basically the whole time we were in Columbia, it was, I, I guess it was the trail end of the wet season. Mm-hmm. And so we just happened to still be in the wet season while we were there. So it was raining every, every single day, thunderstorms almost every day. But despite all that, we had a, we had a great time. That's not to say that we didn't have a good time just because it was raining. Like we're from Oregon, it rains. Yeah, it rains. That's rains. what happens. Rain happens. But yeah, these these golden plume parakeets they were they were really interesting. So we went all the way up the trail. Oh, got really good really good looks at the mask trail. Yeah, they, they hung out for a really long time. They were like right above us, the male and the females. Yeah. It, it was fantastic. I mean, we've seen mass trogons before, so that wasn't like a lifer, but I mean, but the these views. were like lifer looks, and like never had looks this good yeah. at a mass trogon. It was yeah. just like they're like 10 feet above us in great light, like at a 45 degree angle from us. So it's like right through clear, and it's just like sitting there. I think I got a recording of it. I can't. I can't remember. Well, I got like a I know we were all videos. Yeah, we were all talking, and it was there was a lot of talking and stuff. So I may not have got a recording, but I know I got a bunch of pictures, and Hannah got a ton of videos. I think you may have already posted the videos on on TikTok or uh, on YouTube. On I'm YouTube. starting all to right. post uh, YouTube shorts of videos. All right, it's a I good place to put them. I don't know why. Sure, <laughs> and anywhere you can put content online is fine. Yeah, that's my goal. Sure, mo content, mo better. Yeah. So we so we we got up and. Uh, then we just turned around and headed back down once we once we felt like we had seen seen what we were going to see up the hill. Because we had another appointment with a different Aunt Pitta. We, we did have an, an afternoon appointment with an Aunt Pitta. <laughs> and you don't want to be late, according to the chestnut ground. <laughs> yeah, right. Don't be late for the appointments. They will give you an earful. Um, so we started heading back down, and then it really started dumping on us. So we kind of took refuge in like this little uh, shelter. Mm-hmm. And I was getting kind of excited because I was like, oh, it's really dumping a lot of times when the sky just opens up and dumps, it knocks all the fog out and it and it, cl- it clears out the sky so you can see again. Yeah. That did not happen. It The fog actually got thicker 
while it was raining. So it's like just dumping on us and the fog's getting thicker. And it's like, well, that's not clearing anything up. We're truly in the cloud forest now. It's just solid rain, solid clouds. But the parakeets were super close. We heard the, heard the, um, the golden plume parakeets were like, I don't know, they're probably like 20 feet away at this point. And it's like, we just can't see them until they flew by, like, just like super close. And they yeah. flew by and it was like, they're just screaming and just like, there they go. So we did get a pretty good look at them. Yeah. Like, fleeting look, but it was like, Whew. Well, and then they ended up in a tree that was right next to us. Yeah. But it but, was But it, so it was foggy. just far enough away that it was too foggy to see. So at that point, our driver had come up the hill to grab us. And take us down to the lodge um, where the other ant pitta was going to be. Yeah, and R- so right at the lodge itself. So right before lunch was when we were slated to see that, and so um, the lodge had a really nice wraparound deck around uh, the, like these groupings of cabins, mm-hmm. and so we went onto the backside of the deck, which was great, you know, and we were able to just look down in the grass, and the ant pitta came right out for us. Again, it was like. A short fleeting glimpse of this one. Yeah. So he wasn't... Apparently we got his lunch on time and it was... So he wasn't going to stick around. But a little uh, brown banded ant pitta. Um, I don't know why it's brown banded. Because it literally just is brown. It's probably its tail or something. Maybe. I don't know. But all, it, it was just a, a small brown ant pitta. Man, that's insulting. It says dingy looking Dingy ant looking ant pitta. That's the description on Merlin for it. But... <laughs> Um, so, yeah, we got... I don't a, think it looks dingy, it's just brown. So we got to look at... Ampeta. We got to look at that, and then they had called us in for lunch, so we en- enjoyed a wonderful lunch at the lodge, um, and then... It was not a bandeja paisa, it wasn't. But, it, but, it was, but it was a really good lunch. One uh, of the few days I didn't have one of those, <laughs> the national dish. And I noticed be, there was the other group of birders that was at the lodge with us at the same time. Mm-hmm. I noticed one of them had a jacket on that said Alaska Airlines, which... You know, we're from Oregon, and Alaska Airlines is like the preferred um, airline for a lot of people in Oregon. Well, and they're also the Alaska Airlines is like the number one sponsor for uh, the, the um, Timbers. The Timbers. And yeah, so I saw his jacket said um, Alaska Airlines, and it had a Timbers logo on the front of it. And I was like, oh my gosh, you guys are from Oregon. We're from Oregon. And, you know, we kind of chatted a little bit and, you know, went back to birding. And then one of them walked over and he said, you guys are Hannah and Eric, aren't you? <laughs> and we ended up knowing him. He's a he's a guide with uh, Portland Audubon that we yeah. just never met before. But just never met him in person. But you knew our names from eBird and from <laughs> just from birding in the region. So just the weirdest coincidence. I mean, such a small world at times that you go birding in Colombia with people that you in a, that you kind of know. You, you, you've you've heard of and you kind of, you've never physically met and face to face, but I there mean, they are. They could have been from Germany. They could have been from anywhere. Could have been from anywhere in the world. No, they were from Oregon. Yeah. So it was funny. Um so yeah, it it rained really heavily. The the rain didn't really clear, but our um guide wanted to go back up to where we last where we saw the parakeets, so in hopes that we could see a black-billed mountain toucan. Mm-hmm. So we went up there, had to cover ourselves under a shed because it was just dumping there, there was down. like there was like a building there there was like a house or, of some sort or something I don't, yeah like a I, ranger house I, I was yeah a ranger house um we'd basically sit on the porch for that house and just kind of like waited out the rain which the rain wasn't stopping anytime soon but we just kind of stood there and and we ended up having a powerful woodpecker come in which was super cool yeah like i i love i, I think i think it's a campophilus woodpecker it's like the big big woodpeckers 
And I was so excited to see that guy. Um, yeah, and after that bird came in, so did the black-billed mountain toucan, which was the bird that, one of the birds that we really wanted to see while we were up there. So the black-billed mountain toucan actually ended up being my 1900th lifer. Yeah, so that's that's a pretty important bird. It's it's a really cool-looking bird, big, giant black bill on a toucan. Yeah. And for it to be a, a important number. I, I guess 1900 is <laughs> an important number. I don't know. It's, I just... It's an even number. Exactly. It's a good even number. So that was pretty exciting. Um, we waited around for a lot longer. Things didn't come, so... It just kept raining. It did. So we got the, you know, the driver to take us back down. Had some more hot chocolate, hummingbirds, great afternoon. Um, once the rain did start to clear, uh, Diego suggested we walk down to the entrance gate, which was about, took about an hour and a half or so, mile and a half, um walk and we had some fantastic sightings of Andy and Mott Mott. We had a group of chestnut wood quail just run out in front of us. Um, <laughs> so that was very cool. Dusky Piha. I mean, just a lot of really fantastic birds at the site. I definitely recommend going there. I'd, I'd be interested in staying there. It's a little bit more like, um, like hostel style, uh, lodge. Yeah. yeah there's it a, it's a like, shared bathroom. That's, uh, it's got a shower and all that stuff. Running water and everything. It's, yeah. The, the power was out while we were there, but that wasn't a, like a normal thing. Normally they have power 24 hours mm-hmm. a day. It's just for some reason the power was out and the power company was out there fixing it while we were there. Yeah. So anyways, that was uh, that was a fun day and got to see all those really cool uh, ant pittos. Yeah. Um, so the next day we went to another really cool site that I'm excited about called Hacienda El Bosque. Yeah, Hacienda El Bosque. Yeah, and we met our site guide there, Edison, who had only been working there for about two months, but, um, and also he splits his time between birding and dairy work because it is a working dairy farm, Mm -hmm. but it's also an eco lodge. So it is just, it's a really interesting site and it's, it's big. Like I didn't really realize how big it was until I was thinking back and like, you know, it's a pretty long drive up to the top. Yeah. And, and they own keeps... all the way down to the road. Oh, yeah. Plus more that we didn't drive on because it's not drivable. It's just where the cattle are at. Yeah. So um, very, very nice accommodations. It looked like they had a couple ca- at the top of the hill. Like you drive through the dairy up through like more natural areas and pasture. And up to the top is where the restaurant is where we had breakfast. Um, that was waiting for us. And then they have a couple cabins that are just above it that you can you can stay in that I really wish that we would have the opportunity to because that would have been super cool. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so re- really good meal, really good views from up there. It was just like this giant scenic scenic view you could see for miles and miles and miles. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was just just beautiful. So we had our had our breakfast and then our first um, our first appointment was another appointment with an Aunt Pitta. Yeah. Um, so we... Headed back down, headed, we hopped in the car after breakfast, headed back down the hill, half mile, a mile mm-hmm. or so, half mile or so, and then walked down this trail that was just like, just straight down this trail. Straight down the trail to like a stream yes. that had, you know, cover over it. Like it, that section of uh, habitat had, had been preserved. Yeah, there was a couple patches of habitat throughout this whole dairy farm that hadn't been, um, hadn't been cleared. I don't know if they... A lot of the areas that were naturally clear were, were, were what, but the, um, uh, the, there was big chunks of habitat that were still heavily forested with a lot of under, underbrush, and this is one of them. Yeah. 
Um, so yeah, that's straight down hike down to the <laughs> down to the um, the performance area the performance for area. that ampeta, and there there were seating areas there too. Um, I also had another issue trying to get my spotting scope in such a place that I could see because um, it wasn't one hundred percent where the ampeta was going to come out. Oh and yeah, 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 it's an it's an equatorial ampeta. Um, just another, you know, super interesting, beautiful bird. Uh, but it was really kind of funny because Edison, you know, has such a special relationship with these ant pittas, the, the, the sight guy that was there. He, you know, it sounds like a love hate relationship too, because they don't always mind. Um, but I, I just, I've been thinking about it ever since that, you know, his, him calling in the ant pitta, um, it was Pancho, Panchita, e los niños, venga, 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 which means like, come on, get over here. Yeah, so he's he's like calling that over and over and over. He he had another phrase, I can't remember exactly what it was, but initially I thought it was, I'm getting old, you need to hurry up. <laughs> but it it was something completely different. But um, it but was that would have been good too. But that would have been great too, because it's the, the inflection and tone in his voice definitely made it sound like he's exasperating. He's like, I'm tired of waiting for you. I'm getting old here. Get out here. And so he just keeps saying over and over and over, and he's got got a couple worms, and then finally. And they just hop, hop right out on the thing, and they're like, have you been calling? Have you missed us? And they eat, eat up some worms, they head back into the brush again, and then they come from the other side, all the way around behind us, and then back in. It, it, it was, they put on a whole show once, once they finally decided they were interested in hanging out. Yeah, and it was really cool because you guys were sitting below, and I stood above, mm-hmm. and I could actually see the second ant pit wandering around in the back that I don't think you were able to see because it was down the down towards the stream a little bit. See, I only saw two when uh, they came up from the right-hand side that was, like, behind you. Yeah. That's the only time I saw two. Well, anyways, they put on a really good show, um, and then, you know, got done with that and headed back towards the hummingbird feeder. Yeah, so many hummingbirds. Which was on like the other side. And it had a fantastic view too because we're still like on the um the ridge line that of the valley that kind of went down. Mm-hmm. Um and so it looked down towards like where a stream would be down the valley. And so we were, you know, overlooking these huge trees. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the treetops. Yeah, we were standing at the at the canopy, at the top of the canopy for a lot of these trees. So yeah. just looking over the top of them. And, you know, I saw toucans flying. Yeah. I, you ended up missing the toucans. I, I missed but, the toucans there. Uh, but just so many hummingbirds at this place. There was swordbill, there was buffwing star frontlet, shining sunbeam. Tourmaline, Sun Angel, just all these... Period, Metal Terror, Lesser Violator, <laughs> Sparkling Violator, just, just bird, 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 bird. Yeah, and Banana Quits, too. Banana Quits, They yeah. were hopping around. Um, and this place had, you know, hummingbird feeders that you could hold. Mm-hmm. And so all these hummingbirds were um, habituated to coming closer to people. And so, like, we didn't, you know, hold the the feeder or anything but, but they were coming to us because they were like you people normally come here with food why don't you have food so they kept landing on my spotting scope yeah and i really wanted to get a picture but none of them cooperated i, I tried long to take enough. a picture but i was i didn't have my phone out so i was like trying to do it with a camera and yeah it's minimum focus distance it's it's a problem when you're trying to take pictures <laughs> apparently someplace. um so there was another uh ant pitta we were supposed to be able to see there the crescent-faced ant pitta but it just like it came called once and both of us missed it. Yeah. And Edison just tried and tried and tried to get it to come back and it 
it didn't, unfortunately. But fortunately for us, he did have coffee with him. Yes, so he did have coffee. He brought us. He brought along a basket of coffee. So that was very well received it by was, us. Yeah, very well received for really sure. Really good coffee too. Yeah. And so something I wanted to mention about the um, Ampetas, the none of the Ampetas that we went to, they were playing, none of them they played playback for no. them. It's all just yelling out names and just whistling. Yeah. Like whistling and yelling out names. That's that's it. There's no sitting and playing playback, which makes me feel better as a person. Like, sure, this bird's trained or whatever, but like it's it's been habituated to come coming in the morning to this area to get a worm. But at least I, I feel a, a little bit of solace in the fact that they're not playing playback. They're not. Yeah. They're not sitting and and just blasting playback through a phone for an hour, waiting for somebody to come and show up and start getting mad at them. So. Yeah. Yeah. So. Anyways. Uh, so then, after you know, getting our fill of that, we went on to the third set of feeders that they had, yes. which was just down the trail a little bit from the hummingbird feeders. Probably the most gregarious feeders that we visited the yes. whole time. And this one was for two cans. It was a two-can feeder. Two-can feeder. Grapes and just grapes. I think it was just grapes. I think they talked about putting bananas out, but they didn't. Yeah. Uh, so anyways, when we got there, though, it, it's kind of nice because they have, like, shed roof and some chairs set up. Yeah. And uh, I was really fortunate not to be standing out there because right as we got there, uh, Edison went to go get some grapes and put them out. And he got clocked by a Oh, my gosh. A it was a full... On the side of his head as this toucan slams into him because he's carrying the grapes and the toucan's like, those are my grapes! And just clunks him in the head. Yeah. It's like, ooh, Edison, are you okay? And he's like, oh, I'm good, I'm good. I'm good. And so he hurries up and hangs the grapes and then they, imme- out they immediately just feast. It was, it was just like the chachalacas at Benson. Oh, like, yeah. They were just as bad about the peanut butter. Like, <laughs> if, they, if they, if chachalacas knew how to fly... They would do the same thing. Like, they would, they would clock you in the head. You leave my poor chachalacas alone. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that was, it was so fun to watch all the toucans. And there's actually one black-billed mountain toucan yes. that we had, you know, looked for the day before. And we saw one terrible look of it. Um, there was one that came to the feeders, too. Yeah, it was just, like, we spent so much time looking for him on the mountain, we could have just come down to this feeder. I know, right? But whatever. So, yeah, a lot of really cool things were coming to the those feeders, um, you know, the toucans and everything. And uh, then, you know, we uh, had another date with a different bird, but we had to waste a little time trying to get that bird to come out. So we wandered through the valley a little bit. It was kind of dead, um, but... You know, it, it was really fun looking at the structure of the rainforest, too, that was, or the, of the forest that was there. Like, there was this huge chunk of, uh, of forest that had gone down in a landslide. Yeah. And it was, you know, I, I, I remember watching this in, like, nature programs and, like, you know, uh, Magic School Bus and everything about how, like, one tree comes down and then all of this stuff has the ability to grow. because It, it of, like, starts a chain reaction of things happening, of, of all this undergrowth now does a bunch of stuff. and Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so when we were wandering through and there was that huge landslide section, it's just, I really realized about how, like, open, how that opens up the canopy oh, yeah. to allow for other things to grow up. Yeah, it's, it cre- creates a succession situation where it's, like, all of a sudden... This section can now become new and start fresh, and it, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So a lot of it was already starting to grow. There was already, a, the ground was already covered in brush oh, again. Sure. So it was like, the ground's already covered in brush. You can tell it's been a landslide, but now it's going to refill all exactly how it, was, how it was, but it's 
10 years, 15 years from now or whatever. Yeah. Uh, so anyways, that whole hike, we didn't really see a whole lot. Um, so we went back to the toucan feeding station mm-hmm. where they, you know, had a, a set up with an appointment with a white throated quail dove. So we sat at the feeders, you know, sat and sat. They were like, it's going to come in right here. And so it's going to, they're like, it's just going to barely peek its head over. Cause like a, I think it was a thrush hopped down. And it was feeding from the backside of the stump. Mm-hmm. And they were like, you see the head on the thrush? That's probably the look you're going to get. If you're lucky, it'll hop up on top. But don't don't hold your breath about that. Yeah. And so we're sitting there. We're like, all right, so this is going to be exciting. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, it just walks in along the trail, just nonchalant, like, doop 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 You and, liars. <laughs> and, and he's like, full, wide open view, just doop 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 looks around a little bit, hops up on top of the stump, grabs a couple seeds, looks around, and then and then jumps over the back of the stump, and he's gone for the rest. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. But it was just, and I like, I wasn't ready at all to take pictures of it. I got some like blurry, like, doop, doop, as it was kind of, kind of coming in. Yeah. But, it was, but this bird is also, I was not, I should have looked up the size, because we had, we had some time sitting there. So I, I should have looked up the size of this bird. I didn't realize how large it was going to be. Oh, yeah. dove. It was like one and a half times the size of a white tipped dove. Mm-hmm. Like it's like bigger than a pigeon. Like yeah. it is a large dove. These quail doves, they're, they're big guys. So I was not expecting that size of a bird to just come duping along and then look around and hop up onto the stump and look look around some more. So I'm like, ah. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, that was a good look. It was a very enjoyable bird. So. Uh, yeah. And so got our birds and then we were headed to lunch up at the, the uh, restaurant that they have. Yeah. And we had to order in that in advance. Um, and I totally forgot what we had ordered. But she brought out my my lunch, which was pozole, and yeah. it was incredible. I mean, I, like, it was this huge bowl of soup, and then, like, a bunch of fixins on the side, like, this huge bowl of chicken that I could put, toss in there, and avocados, and oh my gosh, it was amazing. And passion fruit juice, that was amazing as well. So, I definitely want to go back there <laughs> and stay, and just eat. Not yeah. even bird, just... No, still bird. I'd, I'd still bird there. You had like curry, didn't you? Yeah, it was like some sort of curry thing. I don't, I don't remember exactly what it was. But totally worth it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So then we said goodbye to Hacienda El Bosque and headed off to our next adventure of Paramo. Yeah. So from here is basically Paramo to the end. Yeah. Um, so we had, uh, we started headed up the hill um, and we, we stopped on the side of the road because uh, our guide was like, hey, I think we can look for, there was like three species we wanted to look for. And I was able to just basically right away snipe, yeah. which was which was like the main target that I, I was most interested in. Noble snipe. There was also Andean lapwings. Andean lapwings. You wanted to look yeah. for and oh. Andean teal. Andean teal. Yeah. Okay. So we did not get the lapwing there. Nope. But we got the teal and the snipe. Yeah. And it was just right on the side of the road. We just kind of pulled over on the side of the road. There was like a farm field, and like that's generally where you find snipes, anyways. Yeah. It's like it's really good to find in farm fields along the along like water spots mm-hmm. in in the farm fields. So. I just like, like have, having that knowledge, like put my binoculars, like, all right, let's follow these tracks until I find, oh, there's one right there. <laughs> just standing there looking like, this isn't a visual podcast, so it doesn't really help that I made a face, but, <laughs> but, but, it, but it's just sitting there like, <laughs> it's got his wide eye just like looking. Yeah. Maybe I'll just post that picture on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> we'll make a, we'll make a quick reel just. What does a snipe do, Eric? A snipe goes, whoop. 
<laughs> it's just sitting there, minding its own business. Yeah. Anyways, so we got the snipe, got the teal, or got the teal and an Indian duck, yeah. too. Um, and a, cu- a couple other just kind of, like, forest slash farm, or city slash farm birds. Yeah. That were there. So we headed up to the lake. Um, wasn't much there. It was raining pretty hard. So we kept kept on going up until we got to actual high Paramo. So we're, like, way up there. I don't, I don't remember what the ele- exact elevation was, but the target for this area was another Ampita. So it's like, what are, what are we up to? We're up to like five, six ant pittas yeah. now for over two days. So this is really ant pitta, like heavy for these couple of days. So this ant pitta, like I was mentioning at the beginning how differently they act. Yeah. This one is about as far different as any of them that we've experienced. You know, I would think, I would liken it to like a metal arc. Yeah. Like a western metal arc. Oh yeah. Like it was like, we're driving, we have the windows down and then all of a sudden you hear it calling. Yeah. And it's just like. Dude, it's just going off, calling, and I think I got some good recording, so I think I'll use this as the outro. Okay. Um, this this call, but the it's just calling and calling and calling, and so we we pull over and we're like, all right, we gotta find this. It's calling, and what they do is they stand on top of sticks, they stand on top of fence posts, yeah. on top of trees, and they scream and scream, establishing territory. I love birds that do that. And and they just stand there. And yell and yell and yell. And so they, they didn't get very close, so our pictures are pretty distant pictures. Yeah. But just calling and calling and calling. So it was like, there it is, a tawny ant pitta, <laughs> a high elevation paramo ant pitta. So it's so different from the bicolored ant pitta mm-hmm. that's silent and hangs out in the forest and comes out for half a second. Or the brown banded ant pitta that was silent and came out for half a second. Yeah. You got this dude that's sta- standing out there. Hands on his hips, just screaming and screaming and screaming about, this is my place. Yeah. So, fascinating. So then, uh, yeah, from there, that's the entrance road to get down to this really cool place called... Termales de Ruiz? Yes. Yes. And it's this gorgeous uh, lodge uh, that's like, it's a hot spring. Yeah, it's a a, um, termales, um, like thermals. Um, so it's a it's a thermal area. So there's hot springs, and it's a whole lodge that's built around hot springs, and it happens to also attract a couple good hummingbirds. Yeah, and so um, the reason to go there was to look for a rainbow bearded thornbill, which um, you know they said was up in the feeding area, and I thought that was super cool. That this lodge has a hummingbird feeding area. Yeah, uh, very so, accommodating to birders. Yeah, I don't yeah. know how many rooms it was. I mean, it didn't look like it had that many. Not a ton. Maybe, maybe like twenty or thirty. Yeah, maybe thirty. Yeah, but they uh, they they offered day passes, um, which is what which is what we had. They got us in, and we could just hang out at the lodge, use the bathroom, all, all that stuff, and then go out to the feeders. Yeah, which the feeders the, were above the like hot spring pool. Yeah. Um, and it was raining again. So we kind of raced up to the, the top where they had a platform or they had like a two, two story platform Yeah, and that was, you know, covered, which was really nice. And so we got up to the top and, uh, you know, hummingbird feeders all over the place and just birds zipping around like crazy. Yeah. So really cool things like great sapphire wing, like this monstrous oh hummingbird. It's they're huge. It's basically like a, it's not as big as a giant hummingbird. Like it no. doesn't, it's not like obviously a sparrow that's pretending to be a hummingbird. <laughs> it's, but it's big. Yeah. It's, it is a big hummingbird. It still has the, all the same exact shapes as a regular, like a smaller hummingbird. But it's, it, I feel like its tail is like super forked though. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's, it's a very distinctive hummingbird and it's so like purple. Like, and it's so cool because when it's wings, when it flaps its wings, like you mm-hmm. can really see like 
why it's called the Sapphire Wing, yeah. you know? So I kept trying to get a video of that because I thought it was so cool, but yeah. that didn't work out. Well, the, the light wasn't super great where we were standing. We could see it really well with our eyes, Yeah. but then trying to get a phone camera to capture that was, was a little difficult. But um, those guys are mean. Yeah. They are the meanest hummingbirds. So coronets, <laughs> I've always thought coronets were the meanest hummingbirds. I thought they were, they're aggressive. They smack each other with their wings when they're oh, sure. a hummingbird feeder. Like they are, they are mean. But this, this uh, sapphire wing, I think he takes the cake. <laughs> those, those cloacal jabs to the other hummingbirds. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I don't know why. That's but, rough. But, that's, that is mean. <laughs> So we're very immature, and our guide, Diego, I mean, I don't know if he's as immature as we are, or... I don't think he's as immature as we are. Or if he was just, like, playing along to make us happy. <laughs> but <laughs> when we got up to the, the feeders, you know, there's there was a feeder that was under hanging underneath the platform, mm-hmm. and so birds were, like, coming, I mean, they were inches from our face. Like, you could feel the wing oh, beats. The, yeah, the, the wind was, like... <laughs> Like, in your face with the wings. <laughs> and so there was, like, a there was one bird sitting on the feeder. I can't remember what it was. And this great sapphire wing just comes up and stabs him in the cloaca with his bill. And he stabs him, like, three or four times. And he's just like, bah, 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 bah. Like, that is my feeder. I, yeah, that was that was crazy. And it was like, all right, you do not mess with a great sapphire I know, wing. So the whole time. You stay off his feeder. He does, you just leave him alone. Yeah, that's why I was saying how immature we are the whole time. It was like, oh, watch out, there's great sapphire wing. Close yeah. you know, cover your cloaca. <laughs> Block your cloaca, he's going to get you. It's going to be an explicit episode. That's um, not explicit. That's just, that's an anatomical term I'm, for a, in a bird's plot. Yeah, I'm just kidding. <laughs> for what? For a bird's area. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that hummingbird feeder was just amazing. I mean, sparkling violet ears, purple back thornbill different puff legs, shining sunbeam. Oh my gosh. There was just so much and they were so fast and very cool. I mean, we spent a long time up there watching. Oh yeah. And there there were some people that were there just as guests from the hotel that weren't birders that were really having a good time, like enjoying the hummingbirds. They were, they were putting the little, uh, little beakers of, um, nectar on their head and the hummingbirds are coming and eating, eating off their head. They they were, they were having a good time as non-birders enjoying it. Uh, so anyways, um, you know, we couldn't find the target bird up there. We looked for, you know, 45 minutes or something like that. Yeah. Couldn't find the target bird. So then uh, we went down to the parking lot where our driver had seen one before we had gotten there. Yeah. So we went down there, waited a few minutes, and lo and behold, the rainbow bearded thornbill shows up. Yes. Got some really good looks at this guy. But the light, light wasn't great to get pictures, but man, was sparkling. And it, it fully lives up to its name. It is like, it is a rainbow on it, its throat. I, I, like, it's a, be- a rainbow bearded. Like I don't even... It's like flame foreheaded or rainbow bearded, or like the two names this guy could be, and rainbow bearded is great. I don't even know how it evolutionarily evolved to look like this, but it is just an absolutely gorgeous bird that exists in such an odd area. Yeah, super high elevation. Like, it's just hanging out, eating off of, like, it's it's above the, the um, timber line. Yeah. So there's no trees. There's there's just short bushes, and that's it. It's just like there there's a, there's a couple like the Ecuadorian pillstar. It lives super high, specializes on one flower. These guys, I'm sure, are specializing on a single flower, and they just like live way up there. Yeah. So, so that was kind of that day. So we got up early, you know, um, went off and saw Pramo and plain bellied seed eaters at that lake that we had stopped at the day before. Yeah. Um, and then headed into the national park where we had seen the, uh, Tawny Ant Pitta the day before. Mm-hmm. 
It was basically the same area. We took a right-hand fork to go down to the Tunny Ant Pitta and the Rainbow Thornbill. Yeah. And then we took that left fork to go all the way up to uh, the National Park, the um, Nevado, uh, Nevado Park Natural. Yeah. Um, really cool na- national park, super high, right on the side of a volcano. And right before you get up to that, like, entrance, um, there's a, like, glamping cabin area that mm-hmm. had a restaurant. So we had stopped to have breakfast there, traditional breakfast, you know, eggs, chocolate milk, hot chocolate, and all that stuff. Um, they also had a kitten that was, I was playing with. <laughs> I named it Gadito. Uh, so that was... I don't know if it's going to remember its name. <laughs> but that's that's a great place to stop uh, and eat, and it's beautiful location too. So we got up to the visitor center of the national park, um, and it's all on a active volcano. So that's a really cool thing about you know this area uh, puts that little sense of adventure and danger in it. Yeah, the smoke coming out of the top—you never know when it's going to blow. Yeah, um, but the target to go see there is the Buffy Helmet Crest, yes. which is. Uh, you know, another incredible looking hummingbird. And uh, our guide, Diego, was telling us that there's these different mountain ranges and there's, or, you know, um, volcanic areas. Mm-hmm. And there's different hummingbirds that specialize, that are endemic, like, to those areas. So this Buffy Helmet Crest is endemic to this volcano top, essentially. Basic, that's, that's what it sounded like. Basically, just this one region here. There, Buffy Hummingcrest. Yeah. And that's another amazing looking hummingbird, just like the the rainbow bearded thornbill, except this one has a purple. It, this could have been just a purple throated thornbill. Yeah. That's, that, that's what this, or purple bearded thornbill, because it's got the little thin, thin bill. Uh, bill, just like the thornbill does, but it did have a helmet crest. I mean, it, 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 it did have a good, nice, good, nice crest that the, um, the rainbow bearded thornbill didn't really have a crest. It just kind of had a little bit of a spike. A little bit. A little mohawk. A little mohawk, but not not really a crest. So I guess the names could have gone either way, in my mind. <laughs> uh, but just a really... I'll, I'll, I'll give it a 7 out of 10 on the name. That's, okay, there you go. <laughs> just a really fun hummingbird, too, because uh, Diego, you know, he spotted it off in the distance. And so we were watching it... Um, fly around a little bit, waiting for it to get closer, and then all of a sudden we lost it. And he went, or Diego went around the corner, down a trail, and it was just sitting right there. <laughs> and they do these these ventures of, like, sitting for, like, five minutes and then feeding, you know, versus being a super active forager. Well, and it's, I think it's a, um, a feature of high-elevation hummingbirds. So, yeah. like, uh, I remember the Ecuadorian hill star doing a similar thing mm-hmm. where it would just kind of, like, sit on a flower and wait and you like you can watch it if you're watching it binoculars are close enough to see it you can see it breathing and it's just yeah as it's breathing because it's i mean their their heart's beating at like what is it 17 million beats a second <laughs> something, like that, so, yeah. something like that i don't know it, their heart's beating so fast and so they're breathing fast and then you're adding adding the fact that you're like i think we're 2400 meters yeah above sea, sea level like that. We're, we're a good distance above sea level here so we're we're way up at, at high elevation and this thing just lives its life at the edge of existence, just like yeah. constantly, like barely, barely surviving. Like all hummingbirds are just like one one meal away from not surviving, sort of sort of thing. They're just so so fast, and it's just interesting that it's like these high elevation hummingbirds. They have to conserve energy, so they land and sit and and just kind of wait out the day, yeah, and then go and feed instead of like constantly just flying and feeding and flying and feeding and fighting with each other. These 
I mean, we never saw enough of them together, enough of the High Elevation ones yeah. together in one place to see if they will fight with each other, but it was, I imagine they probably won't do a lot of fighting. <laughs> it's probably a lot of more energy conservation and yeah. trying to survive up there. Well, just a really gorgeous hummingbird. Oh, yeah. Um, walked back down towards the entrance, saw another one, and that was kind of it for that area. Um, we had had, you know, drive a little bit to get to the next location, so we, we left kind of early from um, from that area. Mm-hmm. And our next spot was Cajamarca. Yes, but on the way to Cajamarca, we went through the longest tunnel in South America. Which was incredible. It's, um, you say it, you La, pronounce La it. La Lenia? Yeah, okay. That's yeah, like the line tunnel. Oh, okay. Um, La, La Lenia Tunnel. Um, it took 14 years to build this thing. Apparently it was first thought up in 1908. They were like, okay, we need a route to get goods out to the, out to the um, ports. And so up and over this mountain range in the central Andes, they were like, instead of going up and over, let's go through. So you only go halfway up the mountain range now and then go through. Yeah. But it's eight and a half kilometers, 8.65 kilometers long. And it's like a dozen different tunnels that you go in and out of. Yeah. I I think the one is 8.65 kilometers, but then there's other ones that are like, oh, that one's like 200 meters and like like 60 meters and like all these different other ones. But I think the big main one is the one that... When they're referring to the tunnel, it's just 8.65 for that one big long one we went through. But it's a one-way tunnel. So if you're going if you're going west, you go through the tunnel. But if you turn around and go east, you're going up and over the mountain. It's like, oh. Apparently there was a lot of controversy about this tunnel when it was constructed. Like, why only one way? And it was five times over budget. And there was, but it was really was interesting. But it was I mean, a really interesting tunnel. Each tunnel is named after like different animals, too. So that was kind of cool. Yeah. I enjoyed and it, that. And, it, and it's long enough that it puts it in the top 20 of um, road tunnels in the world. So pretty pretty interesting. Especially after when we went to um, Norway. Norway. We drove through all those tunnels in Norway. Apparently the longest tunnel in the world is in Norway. We didn't go through it, though. You really love your uh, infrastructure. Infrastructure. <laughs> Anyways, so we got to Cajamarca. After the, after going through the super pe- cool piece of infrastructure, got to Cajamarca and just had enough time to visit our birding location, a birding location just outside of town, um, called El Retorno de los Colibris, uh, with Diego Fernando, uh, who has you know just amazing birding at his house. Yeah, so it's uh, Diego's mom's house, and he he lives there with her, and she has. She makes some wonderful food. Yeah. But um, the birds were amazing. They have um, two different endemic... Um, to, I think they're Tolima endemics. They're not... I think so. Um, it was the Tolima... Um, blossom crown. Tolima blossom crown and the Tolima dove. Yeah. Um, both of which they get in their yard. And so it's like, oh, well, we'll just we'll just go to Diego's house and we'll sit in his front yard and, or his backyard. I don't know. We'll sit in his yard and we'll we'll see if we can get some of these species. So we ended up with the blossom crown mm-hmm. really quickly. It just popped in on the mari- marigolds. I don't know. It was like little orange flowers. Um, pop, popped in a little orange flowers. Fed around a little bit. Not not like a spectacular colored hummingbird or anything like that, but it's still it's still pretty interesting. Um, and then we sit there and wait and wait and wait and we're, and we're looking and looking and looking. We're seeing tons of hummingbirds, but not not anything new. Not anything like. Crazy mind-boggling indigo caps that were just like spectacular. Yeah. Like all these all these guys fighting with each other, which is super cool. Which so it sounds like a mean thing to say. Watching these hummingbirds fight was super cool. That sounds like a jerk thing to say, but anyways, um, it was it was it was really interesting. Green hermit, sparkling violet ear, lesser violet ear, um, steely vented hummingbird, indigo capped hummingbird, rufous tailed hummingbird. So yeah, that's how how we finished off that day. It was just sitting there enjoying hummingbirds and. 
I think the Andean Emerald is definitely my favorite. Yeah, the Andean Emerald. They are, it, I mean, it's it's, kind about, of, it's as white as it can get and then as green as it can get uh, at the same time. It's kind of plain, but I don't know. There's just something about them that they're just beautiful. It's Yeah, it's not, it's not, it's not like the rainbow thornbill that's got like, like all those rainbow colors or anything crazy weird iridescence. It's just like the greenest of green and then the whitest of white. Yeah. Like boom, 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 boom. Uh, so we stayed, um, in Cajamarca, which was, I don't know, like 30 minutes from Diego's house or Something so. Something like that, yeah. And we stayed at a hotel next to Iglesia de San Michel, Archangel, which if you look up Cajamarca, it's like the picture of the That's, that's the thing to see in town. Yeah. And so we stayed, um, right next to that hotel had a restaurant that was pretty good. So that was, um, all good. Cajamarca is just kind of a neat little town too. We wandered around one evening and, uh, you know, a couple stores open, but lots of people out bars and it, I don't know. It just, it felt really cool being there. I enjoyed it. Um, next day we got up really early, you know, five o'clock start time or something like that. Picked up Diego at his house and we were, told that he had a mottled owl just outside so we waited a few minutes and got the mottled owl yeah it, it flew in right awesome. over our heads he he whistled for it and it, and it uh he, he whistled um like it's the type of whistling that i feel like is basically playback <laughs> that like uh um our, our our friend jeff um he does an eastern screech owl it's that incredible is, that is essentially playback like it <laughs> is that is about as close like I'm sure the bird can tell the difference, and I can kind of hear the difference, and it's just because you can kind of hear a slight bit of air in it that you don't hear with the the actual bird making the call. Yeah. But it is so close that it is just like, if you, if I heard it in the forest, I would be like, Eastern Screech Owl. Like, I would, I would immediately think oh, that. Oh, totally. And so that's that's the way Diego, he, he, he whistled the model owl, or he whistled something. I don't, I don't know what he whistled. Maybe it was a model owl, maybe it was something else. But he whistled something and it sounded just like an owl. Like it was yeah. like, what is that? And it was like, oh, that's Diego whistling. <laughs> um, uh, Di- um, Diego. Uh, Fernando. Fernando. Um, and then it came in and then it flew across the, the road from us and the sun was just coming up. So we had just enough light to see this guy. And he's yeah. just sitting there. He's looking at us like, what was making that noise? And he was like, you're not a threat. And then he flew away. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. yeah and at this point we have two Diegos. Diego are... Uh, guide for the whole time, and then Diego Fernando, who owns the hummingbird, or whose mom owns the hummingbird house. Yeah, so. he, he was our site guide. So after the mottled owl, we headed up the windy dirt roads for about an hour and a half, um, past farms and orchards to get to Finca del Oso, um, one of the best places to spot yellow-eared parrots. Yeah, so this is a species that uh is highly endangered and is what uh, our main guy Diego, what he spent a lot of his time working on before he started guiding. Yeah. He uh, he, he did a lot of uh, putting up nest boxes and doing conservation work for the um, these parrots, the yellow-eared parrots. And so he knew a ton about them. Like he was he was just like like rattling off these statistics about this and that and this and that and just like able to tell us like everything we wanted to ever know about yellow-eared parrots, like how, how big the clutches are, all this stuff. So it was, it was really fascinating hearing him talk all about that and being so passionate about, like, the yellow-eared parrots. Like, this is the thing. That he, yeah. he knows so much about. and it, it was, But it was also kind of discouraging because we're, we're going through this, uh, um, these plantations that are, like, avocados and... Tree tomatoes. Tree tomatoes and, and just, just plants that are plantations that they have 
close, just clear cut, like probably decades ago, but they've clear cut wax palms. Yeah. There's a clear cut forest around wax palms. And they, um, because a number of years ago, Columbia declared wax palm their the national, national tree. tree. Yeah. Um, and so they're protected now. So you can't cut them down, but they remove all of the trees completely surrounding it, surrounding it, so it destroys the habitat around the tree, and then the tree can't survive on its own. Yeah, it's it's like it happens a lot of times in the states where they're like, oh, well, you can't cut that down. Well, we'll cut everything down around it, and then that thing's gonna die. Yeah, because now it doesn't have the support it needs from everything around mm-hmm. it. Same thing's happening with the wax palms. Um, so there's the the habitat's like severely encroached upon. Um, there there is a lot of good habitat around, but in in all these farming areas, it's it, which makes me like really like like second guess like my thoughts like when i'm eating avocados now like i know like especially with seeing like how many avocado trees and they're all almost all getting exported yeah somewhere to i I think it was um he didn't say u.s was the main export well i think the tree tomatoes a lot of those were going to those were going to china um but the avocados he said another country and then u.s was number two for um receiving those but i was still like thinking like i don't i don't need that many avocados anyways Avocados are good, but they're not good enough to get rid of yellow green parrots. Yeah. So. Well, anyways, we did see a couple of them. Um, so yes. that was, that was really cool. Had, and, and had good looks. They were distant looks, but they were they were good looks, and there was there was a fair fairly large flock. Yeah. Of them, they're, and they're having a good time. It's just their habitat is slowly dwindling. Yeah. Or quickly dwindling, I guess. Um. So then we headed off to the Fuentes Parrot Reserve, which was. Way further up the valley. Oh my gosh, um, it was so much further. And the road was so much worse. Yeah. Uh, stopped for a little bit to have breakfast, courtesy of Diego's mom, mm-hmm. which was fantastic because we were overlooking this whole valley, you know, that was absolutely gorgeous. There was the mountain was off to the, the end of it, um, out in the fog. And, you know, just eating her delicious meal that was hot and hot chocolate and everything. Yeah. It was just like, you know cherry on the top of the Sunday. <laughs> um, got back in the car and kept on going, you know, for another hour or so up the hills. And we weren't, we weren't with our regular driver. We were with, um, it was more of like a taxi service that goes up and down through these valleys, taking people into town or taking goods into town. So it was kind of an interesting setup that they had, you know, it was like a, like a four person Jeep, with like the bed and it had a cover over it and some bench seats in there. Yeah. And you know, we saw a number of them go up and down through the valley that these these guys just, you know, help That's that's get what, that's what they do. They just, ta- they just taxi people cuz not not everyone has a vehicle. So they just yeah. they just schedule when they're when they need to come down the hill and they come to, Diego said they come down the hill maybe maybe once a month or twice a month to come down and get supplies that they need. Yeah. Otherwise they just stay self-sufficient up on their farms. Yeah. Uh, so we finally got up to the Fuentes Parrot Reserve um, and hiked up the, through the reserve a little bit. I don't know, maybe a mile or so. Something like that. Hiking it was around. so muddy. It was. So muddy. Biggest regret not bringing, bringing my rubber boots that day. <laughs> um, but so muddy. We, we did a lot of slipping and sliding. I fell on my camera at one point. Yeah. I was, it, it's, it's not a trip until I fall on my camera, basically. <laughs> I, I did it. I did it in Lesotho. I did it here again in Colombia. Like now, now I've got a dent in the side of the lens. Like, It'll be okay. It's it's fine. It's still functionally just fine. But it's like the grip has a dent in it. It's like that could have been so much worse. But it was 
Neither here nor there. I, lots of slipping, sliding. Make sure you bring rubber boots. Yeah. The goal was to see more parrots, which we, we didn't end up seeing. Um, but we did get a really good look at the purple-backed thornbill. We did, yeah. Um, we actually heard the chestnut named Aunt Pitta that was like just, I don't know, 15, 20 feet away from us. It never oh, popped up, but it was there. So. Just nonstop calling. So I was like, I'm going to record this, and it's very distinctive. And that's, for me, that's, that's going to be good enough to put it on the list because that's just nonstop calling. I got a recording of it. Where else am I going to put the recording besides eBird? So I've, I've got to list it. So. Yeah. And so after wandering around a little bit, they did, they did have a humming, you know, hummingbird feeders up at um, like the ranger's house. So that, that was pretty good for a couple hummingbirds. Um, but then we headed back towards the car. It was about lunchtime right then. And we were over, you know, on a road overlooking a valley and it was yeah. a really good, um, another great scenic spot. Yeah, definitely. But also it was, um, it was funneling vultures oh, yeah, and yeah. hawks through. And so we were just kind of, you know, watching the hawks fly through and, uh, our guy Diego had said something about, he wants to go to Ecuador to see crunculated caracaras. Yeah. And, you know, and so we, we were telling him our story about, uh, where the two girls that were on the um, the Teleferico, and they were like telling us about how they're hand feeding the Caracaras, like way at the top of of, uh, of the mountain. Yeah, and so he thought that was super cool. And then all of a sudden, two carunculated Caracaras fly right over yeah. us, <laughs> and not not like super high, but they're like maybe maybe a hundred feet, hundred fifty yeah. feet above our heads. So it was like that is obviously, and Diego was super excited about it. We were super excited <laughs> about it. We we're like, oh, that's so cool. Yeah, we were just talking about these guys. That's another case of, what else do you want to see? Let's talk about it. <laughs> From there, we just kind of walked down the, the road because, you know, a lot of times roads are just more productive and oh, yeah. it's also easier walking. <laughs> yeah. Less so, muddy because it's a road. Yeah. And so... Um, Generally. Yeah. Walked down the road, I don't know, maybe a, a mile or two. And we we're lucky enough to get a yellow vented woodpecker mm -hmm. that was just alongside the road citrine warbler and then we got the mass saltator which was like the bird that diego wanted us to get on yeah so that, that was a, it was a really good look it was feeding just kind of hopping around in the tops of the trees so it was it was pretty a pretty cool looking bird but bright bright yeah, like dark dark black mask like red bill red eye like blue blue just generally ish over so it's re a really interesting bird yeah it's, kind of that white throat patch too yeah it's a Assault, like it's a salt tater. White ascot. A white ascot. Yes, because it's masked. It's a, you know, a party. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, so at that point, we, we drove back to town. Uh, it's a long, bumpy ride. Yeah. But, you know, we got a couple things up there. I was excited about the, the parrot. And, uh, yeah, our next day was the last one that we were in Colombia. And so... Diego wanted us to clean up on a couple species, and so we headed back to uh, Diego Fernando's house. Yes. Back, back there to get the, the Tolima dove. Yeah. Which, we were successful. Yes. We got, got the Tolima dove. It, uh, again, doop -a doop -a doop 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 on out. Um, <laughs> ate a little bit of stuff, and then went back. But then it, it kind of like hung out for for like a good 45 minutes or so. Yeah. So we, we got some good looks at that guy. I got and a then, video everybody was really excited yeah, about. Yeah, everyone, everyone was excited and jealous of your video. Um, and then, then we went ahead and uh, walked up the. Um, actually, we drove up the the road a little bit because yeah. we had one more target we wanted to get, um, which was the yellow headed brush finch. Yeah, which was only like uh, it was like a half mile up the road. Yeah, or so. We just went to like the next clearing, and it was like, oh, it's just sitting here calling out. So it basically it's kind of like a, it's like a yellow headed blackbird, but like not as black. 
Yeah. Kind of like brown, brownish. It color. looks like a molting, uh, yes. yellow-headed yeah. blackbird. Like, like like a molting or a young. It's, yeah, it's just kind of like not really fully vibrantly yellow. Even though it's called yellow-headed, it's, it's a little bit yellow-headed. Yeah. <laughs> so, got that bird and then... <clears throat> uh, Headed back on the long drive to Bogota and the eight, airport. Eight-hour drive. Eight hours. It's a long, long ways to drive um, across Colombia. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it was a really fun trip. We have um, a lot of people to thank for it. Nature Colombia for the coordination of the trip. And Diego at uh, Columbia Birdhouse for showing us a good time. But also, you know, we had a couple sight guides too, like Carlos and Edison and Diego Fernando. So thank you all so much. And Nicola... Um, from uh, our first stop too. Yeah. So thank you all so much for showing us a good time in Colombia. You know, there's more to see and I'm sure we'll be back to see some of it. Yeah. Yeah. So um, some tips real quick, real short. Yeah. Um, rain boots. Yes. Always, always, always bring them and try to wear them also. <laughs> Don't just bring them and leave them, leave them at the hotel. Yeah. Wear them. Um, I... We we have some short short um, rain boots that yep. work pretty good. Yeah, like ankle rain boots. Yeah, they they worked pretty good on all the trails we went on. They would have worked on the last day too um, had I worn them, um, but I didn't. I and just a, wore my tennis and, shoes. And also a rain jacket, you like too. Yeah, and and a nice rain jacket just to keep the keep the rain off of you and your in your binoculars and yeah. camera and all that. And then uh, something that I would recommend if you want to stay in lodges, tell your coordinator I want to stay in lodges and. Just just make that happen if if that's what you want to do because otherwise, they the objective a lot of times if you're trying to organize with a local um, is to try to cut the cost as much as possible and try to get you into a comfortable accommodation, but it might be a drive to get into the burning site, mm-hmm. which, which which is what we had. We had a comfortable accommodation that had a drive into the site, as opposed to um, spending a little bit more and staying at a lodge, which I, I feel like I probably would have been willing to spend a little bit more and stay. At the lodge instead yeah. of spending a little bit less and staying outside. But then you also have to consider we'd be paying for the driver and the Guy guides to stay, there too. to stay there too. So it's, it's it's kind of like what's your willingness to willingness to spend sort of thing on stuff. But uh, but I, I feel like I would have been willing to spend that much so we have a little bit more birding time at each of the locations. Yeah. Rather than a half hour, 45 minute drive sometimes. Um, something that I would also say, and I don't know if Eric will agree with me on this, is is that, um, I don't necessarily feel like I'd be comfortable with us driving ourselves around Columbia. Um, I mean, folks drive a lot differently than they do in Oregon, and I don't know if Eric can pick up on the learning curve fast enough. I would not feel comfortable driving in the city, and in order to get to the country, you have to drive in the city. First, you're going to land in the city and then drive out into the country. So I would not feel comfortable driving, picking up a car and then driving through Bogota to get out into the city yeah. or get out into the rural area. I would feel comfortable driving in, in the rural, like up into the mountains and stuff. That would that would be just fine. It's the getting the getting driving. to that point. So yeah. I am, I'm hiring a, uh, a driver. Yeah. That's, that's fine with me. Okay. And personally. Anything else? No, I think that's it. I think we've gone way over time. I think we've uh, exceeded our... This is probably our, one of our longest ones. It's, we tried to cut it, cut it quick. But um, thank you guys all for listening. Um, we hope you enjoyed it and learned something new. Please, please, please rate, review, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Music, Stitcher, or anywhere else you, anywhere else you listen to us. If you'd like to connect with us on the socials, you can follow us at Hannah Goes Birding and Eric Goes Birding on Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at WeGoBirding. Anywhere that's 
any social media that you can think of, I think we're there. Maybe. Um, probably. I don't think we have a LinkedIn. I was just going to um, say no LinkedIn. No LinkedIn. But um, uh, HannahNairGoBirding um, at gmail.com is our um, email address. And you can uh, check out our website also, GoBirdingPodcast.com. Thank you.